MCU.html is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things media, movies, comics, music, and more. Check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is MCU.HTML Endgame Pregame. We're in the end zone. That's right. We have been vamping this thing for months. In fact, I would say this entire podcast has been a vamp for this film. So rather than talk too much more about how excited we are, we're going to do a quick rundown of the things we think you need to know going into this movie, as well as a one-minute recap on our final thoughts on the film. Here we go. Iron Man released May 2008. Multi-billionaire, genius, playboy, Tony Stark. Sometimes philanthropist, thank you very much. Well, at this point, he's definitely leaning more into the playboy aspect, is held captive, makes himself a suit from, what was it? A box of scraps! In the desert! And escapes, leading to him becoming Iron Man. Let's not forget the help of his magical disposable minority friend who teaches him the value of living by dying. Pretty much. This introduces Stark Industries, the Arc Reactor, Iron Man and his suits, Pepper Potts and their relationship, Rhodey and their relationship, and altogether one other woman. Oh, right, the reporter. I was going to say, who's the one other woman? The fact that you had to think about the one other woman but we could easily name Dummy says something very wrong about the sexual dynamics in these early films. Aw, but dummy. This also introduces minorly happy Hogan, who barely speaks in this movie, Phil Coulson, who speaks a lot in this movie, and S.H.I.E.L.D. as a concept. This was also the first credit scene of the MCU, touching lightly on Nick Fury and the Avengers Initiative. Final thoughts on this movie? I thought it set the necessary humorous pace that made it okay to laugh in a superhero movie. It gave us the idea that you could have high stakes, humor, and drama all at once. I think two of the greatest things to come out of this film are from the final moments, both the line of, I am Iron Man and the appearance of Nick Fury. I am Iron Man set a tone for this franchise of a willingness to be bold and break apart from the comic source that it drew inspiration from. And Nick Fury's appearance with the Avengers Initiative set an ambition for perhaps something grander than just this one film and a potential franchise that hadn't been seen before that has ultimately paid for itself 10 times over over the last 11 years. And not just a film that wasn't afraid to deviate from the comic source material because that has never been a problem. They are always happy to deviate. But a film that made conscious choices to do something unique and different rather than just repeat more of the same rehashed tropes.
The Incredible Hulk, released June 2008. Scientist Bruce Banner returns after being radiated by gamma radiation and becoming the Hulk for reasons that I can't even fully remember. Looking for a cure, I suppose. That's about it. I really like that you had to say irradiated by gamma radiation because it's not like they ever go out of their way to include beta radiation or delta radiation. But they really want you to know that he is irradiated with gamma rays. It is unbelievable how many times they manage to say those two words in this film. It really is. Uh, Apart from Thunderbolt Ross and his daughter Betty as a love interest for Bruce, not a lot is introduced in this film that is necessary as far as Endgame goes. It was the first crossover credits scene and touched again on the Avengers initiative. My final thought on this movie is it's one ridiculous thing after another, whether it's, I'm the Incredible Hulk and it's no big deal, I'm just stalking my ex-girlfriend from this pizza shop, or it's the number of random throwaways like the potential for the leader that got wasted i would have rather the leader than an abomination story any day everything about the incredible hulk would make so much more sense at this end of the mcu than it did at the beginning at the beginning it just seemed like a strange stumbling block toward the avengers didn't really fit in with anyone else especially after the character was recast nowadays a standalone film that's a small adventure starring the hulk that kind of thing would make a lot more sense you could just call it half of ragnarok true Iron Man 2 released May 2010. Tony Volume 2. After a very successful run so far as Iron Man, Tony is beset upon by two former rivals of both his and his father's and goes on kind of a bender and recovers within 24 hours. It's a lot of weird stuff. Unfortunately, blinking you miss it, alcoholism is a hallmark of storytelling, like films where they have such a short period of time to get all of their feelings in. I appreciated getting the debut of the Black Widow, whom I love. I appreciated more Pepper, whom I love. But this movie was one of the most disjointed of the early films. I don't disagree. It certainly sits in between two points of a trilogy, for sure, and doesn't stand very well by itself. This also saw the introduction of War Machine, the further introduction of Howard Stark as a character and his wider influence on the universe, and a better introduction to Nick Fury following his cameo in Iron Man 1. It develops the romantic relationship between Tony and Pepper, and is the first post credit scene to lead directly into the next film, so we're already starting to see this franchise become a thing. And in a weird way, it introduces one of the first canonically queer characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as Justin Hammer will go on to have a prison bitch. Yes, there is that. Final thoughts on this one. It actually set up a lot of what's going to come to be the Marvel Cinematic Formula. The distraction villain with an ulterior motive, the unwinding plot that takes multiple acts to come together, as well as the necessary chase sequence. Gotta love those chase sequences. I also enjoyed the further development of the characters that we had gotten to know in the first film, as many of them will continue to appear, not only in this film, but other ones. Thor, released May 2011, saw us introduced to Marvel Cosmic as we learned about the gods of Asgard, and a brash young Thor is cast out of Asgard by his father Odin to learn humility and stuff. (laughs) 
It also saw the introduction of Asgard as a whole, Odin himself, Loki, the Warriors 3, Sif, Heimdall, Jane Foster, Eric Selvig, the Cosmic Realm as a whole, and briefly Hawkeye for a cameo. And let's not forget Darcy. Let's never forget Darcy. This also introduced the Tesseract in a post credit scene, but did not really name it, and certainly by this point it was not known as one of the Infinity Stones. Final thoughts, you can definitely see the increasing influence of Joss Whedon on the Marvel Cinematic Universe by this movie. Hearing that originally the sharpshooter wasn't going to be Hawkeye, but just a generic random sharpshooter, is interesting, but it still doesn't make that Hawkeye lifts out any less annoying but it was the first time i remember being in the theater going holy shit they just snuck that in on us holy shit yeah again like the post credit scene for iron man 2 we are starting to see more and more an interconnectivity between these films and how they are going to be paying off towards something larger of course in may 2011 we did not quite yet know how large it was going to become Captain America, the first Avenger, released July 2011. Meek soldier wannabe Steve Rogers finally gets a chance to prove himself after being given a super soldier serum and becoming Captain America. This saw the introduction of Hydra, Red Skull, Peggy Carter, Bucky, and gave us a better look at the Tesseract. It was also the first time we had an opportunity to get to know Howard Stark, which created a context across the timeline for this idea that there were always people trying to do better and stop insidious evil from invading the universe. There were always Avengers. They just didn't always have the same kinds of costumes. And we were always asking ourselves the question of what we do with the power that exists in our world and whether it's good or bad. Howard Stark was on the right side, but frequently... We questioned his ethics, his leanings, as we will continue to do throughout the franchise. And it goes to show that even the conflicts that are happening between our heroes in the modern age aren't new. Final thoughts on this movie. It was such a success among fans, even if it wasn't the biggest financial win, that it inspired a TV spinoff about a female character who didn't have superpowers. For that outcome... There had to be a lot of incredible character work in this film, really, truly. Agent Carter defied all odds and all expectations, and I'm grateful for things like Star Spangled Man with the plan and Agent Carter from this movie. I also think it's really cool that this film set a precedent by having a subtitle. Iron Man is the only film franchise so far to have specifically numbered installments, if you consider volume numbers, subtitles for Guardians, and it really showed that they were hoping to lean into building a whole world of these superhero films that didn't necessarily have to fall into the same old 1-2-3 pattern. The Avengers released May 2012. After fleeing Asgard, Thor's brother Loki arrives on Earth to conquer and the Avengers must assemble. This saw the proper introduction of Hawkeye, the Avengers, large-scale superheroics, and to a degree, Thanos. This movie also gave us the idea that every Avengers film gets a The Battle of... The Battle of New York is one of those phrases that defined the Marvel Cinematic Universe until it was defined by the Battle of Sokovia. Yeah. 
or the Battle of Wakanda. And this gave us the idea that if the Avengers come together, there has to be an epic battle worth it. It is one of the reasons that later on Captain America Civil War doesn't quite feel like an Avengers movie because there wasn't an ultimate battle against an endless horde of bad guys. Yeah, it was just the heroes fighting amongst themselves. Final thoughts, you know, what can even be said? I think many people would agree that The Avengers was a landmark in superhero filmmaking, in storytelling. It is the benchmark for so many films that came after it. Very little compared to being in the theater during an early showing of Avengers Assemble and just hearing the entire world decide all at once that it was cool to be a comic geek. I'm very grateful for how Avengers changed the game and made it possible to do things like this podcast. And it's almost unthinkable to look back on that four years after Iron Man, and now here we are 11 years after Iron Man, seeing how much further we've even come still. Iron Man 3, released May 2013, a plot of both revenge and hostile takeover, leaves Tony Stark for the first time without his suit. It also leaves him with way too many villains in one film. There are so many characters that are all supposed to be the source of badness in this film, and all were at one different point or another in production, that while this is a great film, it certainly is as muddled as the worst of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Too many villains and yet not enough, because so many of the villains in the film are given sympathetic reasons as to why they aren't the ultimate bad guy, except for particularly one. And it was unfortunate that they decided to pull back on having a female villain for the first time in the Marvel Universe. I really liked that even though this did expand on the arc of Tony pushing further and further with his armor to make bigger and better and more and to try and protect the world better, this did ultimately bring to a close the arc of whether or not he is more than just his suit, which he is. It's going to become a central theme of the Avengers going forward, the realizations and awareness that Tony has brought to himself through the course of this film. And it's a really important change to the franchise. Final thoughts, it was cool to get things like Rescue, making a slight brief appearance. I enjoyed a lot of the further friendship between Tony and Rhodey, and it was really exciting to get to jump back in after the Avengers. I also, once again, appreciate the further development of the relationship with Pepper. I think things started to get a little bit muddled later in the franchise, but they're a dynamic that I've always appreciated and enjoyed. Thor The Dark World, released November 2013, in a confluence of cosmic events that begs for a huge suspension of disbelief, Thor's ex-girlfriend Jane is infected by a reality-altering substance just when a dark elf needs it to destroy all of existence. While I am a bit kinder to Thor The Dark World than most people, it's not hard to imagine why Thor The Dark World is probably the least beloved film of the second phase, and for many people, goes up there with Incredible Hulk in terms of contributions made by the classic team of cinematic Avengers. It's just kind of clunky, and Christopher Eccleston does not bring any life to the character of Malachite, and it's just a big bore. And they fridged Frigga. 
They friggin' fridged Frigga. And it was also further uneven handling of the character of Loki. The note that this film ends on making it look like he is going to come after Thor or something when really he's just gonna loaf about the house for a while while his big brother is out. So much about Phase 2 is kind of meandering and middling as it leads into the bigger arc of Phase 3. This introduced the Reality Stone and sort of touched on the concept of Infinity Stones a little bit, but here it's kind of treated more like folklore than (laughs) reality. Final thoughts. This movie was just more of the same and didn't really offer anything new to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole and is a really sad final appearance for the Thor side character crew with the exception of Selvig. Yeah, I was going to say that too. From this end of the MCU, this is sort of a disappointing final appearance of Jane Foster. I don't exactly demand an appearance from her in Endgame, but I'm a little bit disappointed that this epic scene of them reuniting at the end of Thor The Dark World ultimately results in her dumping him off screen before Ragnarok. Captain America The Winter Soldier released April 2014, a corruption plot from within by Hydra, as revealed by Captain America, topples the institution of S.H.I.E.L.D. And what's strange is while so many people love this movie, it just does nothing for me. I think it's another film where the villains are a little too complex for no reason. It's a little too much to follow and there's a few too many, oh, I guess I accept and believe that for my taste in this film. That said, I do love Falcon and I like this iteration of Sharon Carter, I guess. And I thought this version of Crossbones was hot as hell. This also saw the proper introduction of the Winter Soldier, whose inclusion in the MC is so strange considering this character is not really as long-lived as most of the characters that we've seen adapted so far. This iteration of Bucky only came into existence in 2006, so it's so fascinating that he has been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for almost as much time as he has in the Marvel Comics Universe. This is also the first time that we have seen a post-credit sequence so directly lead into a following film, the one next removed, not the next one, because it even includes previews of new major characters such as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, which up until this point, we'd never seen anything like that in a post-credit sequence before. Final thoughts, I think it's unfortunate that this movie wasn't even enough to help bring S.H.I.E.L.D. back around. It just didn't have the impact we expected it to, and in so many ways, the dissolution of S.H.I.E.L.D., isn't something that I have felt reverberating throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's one of those things where when you tell me about it, I understand how it's important to the universe, but I don't honestly feel that S.H.I.E.L.D. had enough of a presence in the MCU franchise to begin with, nor do I feel the ramifications of that loss have been felt strongly enough in the films for this tentpole to be as big as it says it is. Guardians of the Galaxy, released August 2014, sees a group of intergalactic misfits arguing over a really shiny pebble and trying to save a planet that mostly hates them. The most cartoonish character in the entire film is 
the only one who is human looking in any regard, and that's Star-Lord. I walked away from this movie realizing that the Marvel Cinematic Universe was going to be a completely different place than the Marvel Comics Universe, as evidenced by this Guardians of the Galaxy. The villains in this movie sucked. They have come to be better in their subsequent performances, and especially Nebula. But the villain sucked, and the second movie does all the same jokes, and I kind of can't stop making fun of stuff like, But that's impossible! You are mortal! Yeah, kind of, and frankly, Ronan's second appearance in Captain Marvel didn't really help my opinion of him either. This saw the introduction of Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, Groot, and their dynamic. It saw the introductions of Nebula. It saw a proper introduction to Thanos, introduction to the planet of Xandar and the Nova Corps. It briefly touched on the Kree, and it properly introduced the Power Stone while also giving us our first full description of what the Infinity Stones are following the brief myth that was mentioned in Thor the Dark World. Final thoughts on this movie. I still don't care for the, I guess, slave shop girl blowing everything up in that one sequence with the collector. It just feels uh, unnecessary. This movie does not top my best of lists, but I don't hate it. This is another film that I'm also seeing on a lot of endgame final watch lists solely because it features the power stone and i don't really think that element of this film is enough to make it important to watch for infinity war or endgame even the relationship between gamora and thanos and by extension nebula as well is barely touched on apart from gamora frequently saying that she hates her father in this movie you're gonna get enough of that in infinity war you don't need to watch her say it for two hours here in guardians Avengers Age of Ultron released May 2015. Just as the Avengers are poised to retire, Bruce and Tony learn a hard lesson about trying to map AI onto a magical cosmic stone and create Ultron. This movie is a result of Joss Whedon having too much pressure put on his shoulders and attempting to make too large a film. There is an unbelievable amount that is supposedly cut from this, and some of it cut for the better. Ultimately, I don't know that the Ragnarok scenes in this would have in any way lined up with Ragnarok as we got it. So, we went into Age of Ultron like, oh, maybe we're going to love it more this time, and I wonder just how much cut stuff is going to excite us. And looking back, Age of Ultron for me is the weakest team film of the Earthbound Avengers films and certainly left me ready to say goodbye to Joss Whedon. It introduced a lot of things that will become very important to the MCU, such as Vision, Scarlet Witch, the Mind Stone, Vibranium. It elaborated on previous Infinity Stone appearances, such as the Tesseract as the Space Stone, and Loki's Staff as the Mind Stone. But overall, the core plot of this film was sort of a misfire. The things about this film that were great were the things that pushed us into the next phase of the MCU. Final thoughts on this movie. While I love a lot of the things it gave us, I certainly love them elsewhere more, and I am not ready to let go of all of the overwhelmingly heteronormative women-are-baby-making machines, down to the villain forcing a female scientist to make him a new body. I just, this movie left me with a bad taste. And for a film that had over a two-hour runtime, they sure did waste a lot of that on a random romance between two characters who did not seem to have much of a previous connection in the source material that ultimately has gone nowhere in the overall franchise.
Ant-Man, released July 2015. Secret former S.H.I.E.L.D. collaborator Hank Pym and daughter Hope Van Dyne enlist corporate espionage artist Scott Lang to steal Pym Lab secrets back for Pym himself. You know, the biggest heroes come in the tiniest box office or something. This movie is okay. It's cute. It probably would have done better if Avengers Age of Ultron hadn't left such a bad taste in so many people's mouths. Mm. This was the first time I felt the buddied movies when they put two movies near each other, like way too near each other. This was the first time I felt the buddied movies didn't really work as a unit and Ant-Man just kind of misfires. I agree about the placement, but at the very least we had gotten to a point in the MCU by now where this sort of standalone film didn't stick out like a sore thumb the way it had with the Incredible Hulk. This also saw the introduction of Pym Particles, Scott's friends and family, and briefly talked about the quantum realm, all things that are going to be important going into Endgame. Final thoughts, I really wish I could take the two Ant-Man movies, combine them, chop them up, and redistribute them as one much better movie, or maybe cut it into a two-season TV show. I don't know. But Ant-Man feels... Oh, I can't forgive myself. Ant-Man feels rather small time for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'll allow it. Ultimately, Ant-Man is still fairly enjoyable, but I certainly would have to agree. Its ranking at the box office is not very far from how I would rank it in terms of MCU films overall. Captain America Civil War released April 2016. The rediscovery of Bucky Barnes and a schism over the Sokovia Accords leads to the Avengers disassembling, with some even going into hiding. He killed my mom! Yeah, I just realized for the first time, we were talking on the show the other day about all the people named Maria, and James Buchanan Barnes, James Rhodes... Really? I think I've even probably noticed this on the show before, but it just gets me every single freaking time. Did you forget how much you hate the two Rosses? I did. Why would you bring that up? Civil War is a lot of fun. Civil War is explosive. Civil War is an over-the-top melee of punch-punch. It gives us Spider-Man. It gives us a really cool Ant-Man appearance. But more than anything, it gives us the amazing introduction of the Black Panther. That said, I don't love the treatment of Tony in this movie. It doesn't always feel like my Tony. That moment where he calls Thunderbolt Sir and says he gave him sweaty palms... That's just not my Tony. Ultimately, I think it was a poor choice to execute a story like this through the lens of Captain America because a lot of things had to be from his point of view, otherwise it wasn't his movie. And I think that that severely reduced the character of Tony Stark in a lot of ways that weren't fully out of character, but were certainly parts of his character that I would hope he had grown past by now. Final thoughts. Civil War is the Avengers movie that isn't. There's a great reason it's not an Avengers movie. You can't really say it's got the battle at. Although there is that explosion in the beginning of the film, it does feel like that is the only major battle against an actual enemy, because the rest of the battles are all internal, in a way that left me kind of cold. I also think it's important to note the dramatic shift that came after this film. Even though it's only two years between Civil War and Avengers Infinity War, there are five films in between Civil War and Infinity War where Captain America was in hiding, which is an incredibly long stretch of time in terms of runtime and story space to the point where when he appears again on screen in Infinity War, it almost takes you aback to see this character again for the first time in so long. (laughs) 
Doctor Strange, released November 2016, Doctor Stephen Strange becomes, well, Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts. This saw the introduction of the Ancient One, Wong, the Mystic Arts themselves, and the Time Stone. It's really convenient that when he married Magic, he already had the same last name. Yeah, really. This movie is, in my opinion, the most origin-y origin of all of the films. So many of the Marvel Cinematic Universe origin films feel like several arcs meshed together to give you a really holistic understanding of the hero. But I feel like this is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe film that could have been told in three issues of a comic book. Yeah, this is at most two stories, I would say. I would say it's the crash and leading up to him starting to study, and then all of the stuff with Kaikilius. That's about all there is to this movie, as opposed to what we've frequently seen, which is multiple narrative arcs for a character in a film. Closing thoughts on Doctor Strange, I liked him a lot more in Endgame. Also, I love and find Wong very attractive. Mm, yeah, I concur. I think my final thoughts on Doctor Strange are I don't love the film itself so much as the things that it introduces and hopefully can build on as the franchise continues. And if I do not get Clea in Doctor Strange 2, I'm going to burn this fucking thing down. I think everyone will. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, released May 2017. The Guardians of the Galaxy meet Mantis, and that's all you need to know about this movie. Bye! Closing thoughts, I really hate the baseball sequence. But I love Nebula! No, realistically, obviously, Peter meets his dad, his dad's a giant evil planet, he kills his dad, and also his abusive father stand-in that raised him dies. That's it. It eases the conflict between Nebula and Gamora, giving them a much better dynamic for Infinity War that will lead into whatever major heroic role she's going to have in Endgame, so that's pretty awesome. Final, final closing thoughts. Adam Warlock. Mantis. I hate the baseball sequence. Nebula. Gamora. Rocket. Star-Lord. Drax. Well, in that case, I am Groot. Spider-Man Homecoming, released July 2017. Peter Parker is a teenager, I guess. And a girl he likes, her dad is secretly a supervillain. Webbing is sticky. Yeah. This is in so many ways the most predictable Spider-Man movie and the least predictable Spider-Man movie. Easily my favorite of all of the iterations of this character. Tom Holland is lovable, likable. He is kind, warm. Marissa Tomei remains the love of my life and my future wife. And Tony Stark gives just about the best performance ever. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I'm doing the calculations in my head, Gwyneth Paltrow makes about as much money per second of footage as the Beatles made at Shea Stadium. Yes. Sounds about right. Not to trivialize Spider-Man Homecoming because it is certainly one of my favorite MCU films, but ultimately it contributes very little to the overall of the MCU narrative as it leads into Infinity War or Endgame, apart from making us sympathetic toward this character, which I don't even think he needed it. We could have not gotten a Spider-Man movie between Civil War and Infinity War and people still would have been devastated to see that little one bite the dust. Final thought, though, 
that incredible relationship between him and Tony Stark is the emotional hallmark of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it has certainly affected how I feel about fatherhood and the definition of that term. And really, truly, Robert Downey Jr. gives some of his best performances when you can see that he can see himself in Tom Holland's eyes. And you know what? That brings up a very excellent point. I had been thinking from the Spider-Man angle how much this affects the overall MCU, but frankly... What we're going to get out of Spider-Man Homecoming that's going to affect Endgame is what Iron Man and Tony Stark took away from it and took away from his relationship with Spider-Man. But to elaborate on your final thought overall, the relationships that Peter Parker has with everyone in this film, the amazing dynamic that he has with Aunt May, with his best friend Ned, this introduced all of the Spider-Side characters who I really can't wait to see more of this summer. Ragnarok, released November 2017. My favorite, my favorite, my favorite! Asgard falls, but first Thor has a limited engagement in a battle arena, I guess, where he meets an old work buddy and brings him home with him. But the house is on fire. But we get the Ember Island players doing a performance of Thor like you've never seen. It's true. It's really true. This also sees the introductions of Hela, Valkyrie, Korg, and Meek, and... The destruction of Asgard. Like, right fucking there, man. Three-fourths of the characters you named that they introduced in this film are implicitly or in other canon queer. Taika Waititi created truly one of the most incredible things I have ever seen. I am filled with emotional intensity when I think about how much I love this film. Everything about his Ragnarok is everything about the best runs of Thor ever, whether it's Jason Aaron's 10-year ongoing masterpiece or it's Walt Simonson's run with Thor Frog. This is magic. I only wish he had an opportunity to use my favorite, Beta Ray Bill, or Balder the Brave. Final thoughts, I really appreciated the closure that this brought to Thor's relationship with his brother Loki. I am certainly curious and eager to see what arc the Russo brothers say this starts for Hulk that is going to continue through Infinity War and be closed out in Endgame. My final thoughts on this film are as I hold my Mjolnir mead glass... I love this movie. I love everything about this movie. I only hope that Taika Waititi gets to do two more Thor movies and then take over the Avengers franchise. I thought this was a tremendous, tremendous tribute. And anyone who loves anything should be lucky enough to get a Thor Ragnarok in their fandom. Black Panther, released February 2018, following the events of Captain America's Civil War, T'Challa steps up as King of Wakanda and protects his nation from the threat of his jealous, abandoned cousin. This movie is a perfect movie on a thousand levels. Any issues I have with it are just, I would have preferred a different kind of story, or... 
I might have done that shot differently. But examining this film from a third-party perspective, it's just fucking perfection. It is incredible. Okoye is my life. Shuri is my life. Nakia is my life. It's everything. And M'Baku is the sexiest man. And I just love this movie. I love it so fucking much. I love all of the different parts. And oh my god, you're not supposed to find Killmonger hot, right? You know, from everything that I've read about how they wanted the reveal of Wakanda to really be worth something when they got to it, I really think that it ultimately was. I don't think that justifies not including Black Panther or Wakanda earlier in the MCU, but this film certainly has made a splash as the highest grossing solo film of the MCU. I can only think of two words for my closing thoughts on this entire film. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Avengers Infinity War released April 2018. After not hearing anything about the Infinity Stones or the quest to find them for about five films, it is suddenly back in full swing as Thanos collects them all to wipe out half of all life in the universe. I don't know what we would have done with our lives for the last year if this movie hadn't given us the snappening. Probably something productive. I would agree. This film managed to introduce no one but the children of Thanos who had so little personality, I don't think there was a single character between them. Basically, apart from them and the Soul Stone and Ytri, the King Dwarf, I don't think that there is a single brand new thing about this film. And yet it is so action-packed that it is almost two and a half hours long. I have too many favorite moments from this film to even list, whether it's Thor's sacrifice to reignite the sun to get his Stormbreaker made, or it is Groot chopping off his hand to help get Stormbreaker made, or Rocket flying the ship to help save Thor to get Stormbreaker made. I'm sensing a pattern. I also liked when Petey said magic with a kick right before Stormbreaker got made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, the beard bros. This also very rapidly developed the romance between Vision and Wanda that had sort of been hinted at in Captain America Civil War, but then I'm pretty sure Wanda is supposed to be a fugitive, so I don't know how Vision is able to get leave to have these little trysts with her. Like, I still don't fully understand that, but I like them a lot, so I sort of excuse it. I don't know. They have incredible romantic chemistry. It is really awesome how well they play two characters I believe are star-crossed lovers. I often have a hard time accepting, oh, those two people, really they're in love no matter what. No, I really get it here. So much of their performances are on the knife's edge of life and death, and they really managed to sell it to me. Because they're both such weirdo outcasts, and I mean that like in a sweet way, that they were able to find each other and find that in each other. For a film that has multiple very visible hetero romances, it's one of my favorites. Probably is my favorite, actually. I still really enjoy the Tony and Pepper dynamic, but once again, she's yelling at him for being Iron Man, and at a certain point, you need to work through it or get off of it, Potts. Are you saying she needs to shit or get off the pots? I was specifically not saying that, but yeah, that's what I was getting at. Final thoughts. This is, as we said earlier, an Avengers film that has one of its classic The Battle Ofs. And The Battle of Wakanda is the first battle in which civilians are regularly giving their lives. The army of Wakanda, including M'Baku's tribe, give everything they've got. So many people are wiped out by the snapping, but Wakanda suffers so many casualties which will not be undone by the snapping. Many of the dead in Wakanda are just gone now. 
and that is going to be a price that no other country will have paid. For a film that I do feel was complete in and of itself in many ways, it is inherently incomplete by the knowledge that this can't be it. The Avengers would never give up. They have to do something more after this. It is a really beautiful, heartbreaking, complete story of defeat, but as soon as any of us stood up from our seats, we were already ready for part two. Ant-Man and the Wasp released July 2018. I don't know. Which plot did you want from this one? Do you want the one where there is a woman who is molecularly unstable and trying to kill everyone so she can fix it? Do you want the plot about a guy who owns a chain of restaurants and is trying to kill Hope for stealing from him? Or do you want the plot about how they rescue their mom from the quantum realm? I personally want the one that involves Michelle Pfeiffer dancing her way out of the quantum tunnel with the rest of the cast of Hairspray, and they break out into You Can't Stop the Bees. And then she jumps on a motorcycle, and everybody sings Who's That Fly? Final thoughts, there wasn't a whole lot to this movie that mattered in any considerable way. It properly introduces Janet Van Dyne and the Wasp and expands on the quantum realm, which is where Scott is left stranded. But honestly, as I've been saying to a lot of people who think they need to watch this before Endgame, any information about the quantum realm that's going to be important to Endgame will be recapped in that film. That is not a question. That is a statement. Any writer worth their salt would not rely on this film, which did not do super well at the box office as a lead-in to the next one. Captain Marvel released March 2019 after being kidnapped by Skrulls, Kree Warrior, Veers begins down a path as she rediscovers her true identity as Air Force pilot Carol Danvers and comes into her powers as Captain Marvel. I think it is incredibly important to the narrative of Endgame. Otherwise, you are going to have a very hard time accepting Captain Marvel coming in and saving the day. Yeah, I think honestly that's the only truly important part of this film that makes it necessary viewing before Endgame. Much like any of the Ant-Man films are technically required viewing before Endgame. If this hero comes in in the last minute and suddenly helps save the day, you might find yourself scratching your head if you haven't seen any of their stories before. But these heroes exist out there in the world. And these are the ones that are left who are coming to help. There's also a larger context to be considered. Some might argue that the Avengers' actions on Earth are what ultimately led to the destruction of Earth. But this movie makes it very clear that well before Tony Stark made a suit and flew himself out of his captivity, things were coming for Earth and we were all in trouble anyway. And frankly even illustrates that before Captain Marvel herself got involved in any of the cosmic wackiness, there was always that out there, and eventually some eye was going to turn toward Earth. Final thoughts. I waited long enough to get this film, and it was worth the wait. Any problems I had with the film itself are certainly a result of the movie being moved on the schedule 16,000 times, the anticipation that she could possibly appear before her own solo film. I'm so grateful 
that we got the film we got, and I only can look forward to what Captain Marvel's going to do. I'm certainly curious about how some aspects are ultimately going to come into play in the larger franchise overall, such as the inclusion of the Tesseract here as basically the thing that sparked Carol's powers in the first place, whether that's going to be important to Endgame or if it was just to provide a further sense of continuity that these powers are out there and have been affecting the universe this whole time. Avengers Endgame is easily the culmination of all of my greatest hopes and wishes as a kid. The only thing that could have made this sweeter is if the X-Men somehow found a way to join the Marvel Cinematic Oh, hey, what do you know? But from this film, I really need to see Captain America be the hero that he's always been promised to be. Captain America has had so few chances to genuinely shine because the Avengers have had so few chances to appear together on screen. I need Tony to have an opportunity to prove he's grown up. I want Thor to have a chance to avenge and redeem his people. I want Black Widow to have more than six lines. I want Hawkeye. I want to see Falcon. And I want to see Bucky. And I want to know why they're getting a show. And I want to know if Loki's coming back or not. And I want to see WandaVision. And I want to know how Vision's coming. I just have so many questions. All I want to see are all of my questions answered in a fulfilling way that makes me really happy with 22 movies. Is that fair? I mean, I think it's what we all want. It's what we're all hoping for. And it's part of what sort of annoyed me about the announcement the other day that Spider-Man Far From Home is now going to be the closing chapter of Phase 3 and the Infinity Saga, even though it must be dispatched in Endgame. I don't know how the stones could possibly still be affecting this universe in Far From Home that you can call it part of the Infinity Saga. Kevin Feige has specifically said that Avengers Endgame is the definitive ending to the Avengers narrative, but Spider-Man Far From Home is the end to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Infinity Saga. So it sort of sounds like Far From Home gives us a better sense of what will happen next, allowing Endgame to truly close out what it needs to. I get that. I do. I think ultimately the only thing that I can hope for from Endgame that I don't fear I will end up eating my words for is... A reason to keep coming back as we enter the 2020s and the next phase of the MCU and the next saga, whatever that may be. I hope that it wraps things up nicely enough while not making the door feel like it's completely closed. I hope that it leads us into this next era of superheroes and superhero films from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The next time you hear our voices on mcu.html, we will have already seen Avengers Endgame. I can't believe it's finally here. Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can also find me on the Facebook page for our program, Husbands Talking More or Less, posting excitedly as we wait for this film's arrival. You can also find both of our work on KidRiotComics.com, where we produce a really cool, really fun, hyper-inclusive superhero comic. Don't forget to check out our other awesome work on the network, like X's for Podcast, where along with our boyfriend Jonah and our best friend Kyle, we take a look at the X-Men comic book franchise, or now and again, where along with my childhood best friend, Chris, I take a look at the Now That's What I Call Music series. If you enjoy what you hear here, you'll probably love what you hear elsewhere on the network, so please feel free to check out the other amazing shows on Cage Club. You might even hear us on some of them. And consider contributing to the Patreon and keep the place running. If you like what you hear from me, you can hear more and see more of me over on Instagram at NicoAction. 
Nation. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right, guys, this is it. The next time you see us, we'll have unsnapped. Whatever it takes. 